You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing today? It's so, so good to see all of you and be here in the house of the Lord with you. I'm excited about this morning. Um, it's been a week of, of celebration. We're continuing to celebrate God's goodness and favor. Um, this past Wednesday, I celebrated 41 years of God's goodness and favor in my life. And um, I know what you're thinking. It's not just the lighting. I don't look 41. It's 51. This pastor thing is aging me like crazy. When I first became the pastor of Christ Walk Church, people told me all the time, you don't look old enough to be a pastor. They stopped saying that about two and a half years ago. Um, but as a part of uh, Wednesday and that celebration uh, of my 41st birthday, I received a number of phone calls and texts from many of you, um, lots of well wishes. And I also got um, a small little flip book uh, with quotes from several different people um, that call Christ Walk Home that told of various things that they appreciate about me along with um, some of the different ways that I've made an impact on their life. And um, as I was reading through that, I realized that you must think someone else besides me is your pastor because I'm nowhere near all of those things. But um, I was so honored and just overwhelmed by all of your well wishes. And I'm so grateful, uh, beyond grateful to be your pastor, and I'm hopeful that should the Lord tarry and continue to allow me to be here as pastor, that um, we'll get to celebrate uh, birthday 51, 61, and maybe even 71 together um, if, if the Lord will hold out that long and, and will uh, empower me to be here. So thank you all so much for, for helping to make my birthday so special. Um, today, we are in part four of a series called Hashtag Blessed where over the past several weeks, we've been taking a closer look at the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And each of the principles that make up these Beatitudes serve as keys that you and I can use to unlock God's blessing and happiness in our lives as we choose to align ourselves and live in accordance with the kingdom of God. And if you've missed any of the previous messages, you can go back to our podcast and listen along or check out our YouTube channel and watch. Uh, I'd encourage you to do that. But if you got your Bibles, you got a smart device, um, I want to encourage you to turn with me, swipe with me to the New Testament, to the gospel of Matthew. Once again, um, for the entirety of this series, we're going to land in Matthew chapter 5 here in just a moment. Now, I don't know how things are at your house, but the number one question that gets asked at my house, and it's not even close, is, so what are we eating? <laughs> like literally every single day of every single week, sometimes more than once a day, the question is asked by, in particular, both of my kids. They are the world's worst for that. It's usually like the first question that I get every Sunday after church. My kids will come running to me. I think they're going to wrap their arms around me and say, Dad, that was a great message. Man, you really preached the fire today. I loved what you said about this. I love that, you know, Dad, 
what's for lunch? That's what I get every, every Sunday. And, and many times we'll be at lunch, like after church somewhere, and as they're stuffing their gullets full of whatever it is that they've ordered that day, they will have the audacity to look me in the eye and say, so what are we doing for dinner? <laughs> in, in the nearly 17 years that Sarah and I have been parents, my children have not missed one meal. 17 years. We have a track record of 17 years, yet it's something that serves as a constant and ongoing point of worry and concern for my children. You know, and often after we've eaten a big meal, we'll go home, we'll be sitting around in the living room, watching TV, messing around on our phones, you know, doing what families do. And one of the kids will look at me and say, I want something. What kind of snacks do we have? <laughs> and, and I'll be honest, it's not just them. Like, I'm totally guilty of this too. And, and, and this is also, it's a regular occurrence multiple times a week. And, and I know now what Mick Jagger was talking about when he said, I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> you know, sometimes as I'm standing in front of the refrigerator, door open, basking in the glow from the light that comes inside, I, I feel like Bono. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. <laughs> You know, maybe it's in the back. Maybe I just need to move the pickles. Maybe it's right back there. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's what I call a hankering. And I realize some of y'all are not from the Southeast. So maybe you've never heard of a hankering before. Yes, that, that ends in an N apostrophe. There ain't no G on hankering, okay? Um, so in case you're unfamiliar, a hankering is simply a strong, deep-seated desire for something that can be difficult to satiate. And, and as, as we, we've been in 21 days of, of prayer and fasting, today is day 21, and, and as we bring this fast to a close, I will admit I have got a hankering for a piece of warm, crusty bread with some butter on it. Today, I've got a hankering for a big, juicy steak. I've got a hankering for a big old wedge of birthday cake with buttercream icing that I didn't get to have last week. Somebody brought me a cake made out of green beans and tomatoes. It was very thoughtful and also made me just a little bit mad. Um, I've got a hankering today for a tall, ice-cold glass of Mountain Dew, can I get a witness in the house from somebody? And I think if I could have those things, then yeah, I, I would be a happy camper, right? But here's what I know to be true. Even if and when I'm able to get that stuff, it may take the desire away for a moment, but it's only gonna be temporary. And eventually that happiness is gonna wear off and I'll find myself circling back to be in the same place that I was before with a hankering. No doubt you and I can identify with those kinds of feelings. And, and Jesus leveraged this fact in his Sermon on the Mount by taking something that everyone would be able to identify with, their hunger and their thirst, a very real, raw, physical need, desire, emotion. And he used that to illustrate a spiritual truth and to define a quality that is present in the heart of those who have chosen to be his true disciples. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, perhaps you've turned there, swiped there, it says this. Jesus tells his disciples, blessed 
are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so here's the question as we embark on this message for today. My question is, how hungry and thirsty are you? Like, I'm not talking about for natural food and drink, but the question for all of us is spiritually, how hungry and thirsty are we? See, normally when we see the words, we come up on the words in the text of Scripture, hunger and thirst... They're they're typically in what is known as the genitive case. And the genitive case is often expressed with the use of the word of. For example, I would like a slice of bread. I would like a drink of water. It refers to being a little bit hungry or thirsty. And this is the way that a lot of us tend to approach our relationship with Jesus. You know, we, we enjoy listening to Christian music sometimes on the radio or on Spotify. Or we attend church on Sunday. We'll read a verse or two from the Bible as part of our morning devotion. We'll, we'll recite a, a prayer at mealtime. You know, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food, all that. We have a taste for entertaining the thoughts of God from time to time. But, but then... There's what is known as the accusative case. And the accusative case is is the exact opposite of the genitive case. Genitive means the purpose or the, the person wants some of something. But the accusative case means the person wants all of it. Not just a slice of bread, but the whole loaf. Not just a drink of water, but the whole jug. And I bet you can't guess which of these cases the word righteousness is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. That's right. It's not the genitive. The hunger and thirst for righteousness that Jesus is talking about here, it's in the accusative case. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the blessed person or or the happy person is the one who is always hungry and thirsty to be in a right relationship with God in every single area and aspect of their life. It's the person that, that craves a right relationship like a starving man craves food or a dehydrated man craves water. It's, it's a desperate, consuming desire that must be filled. It's a spiritual hankering, if you will. I, I once heard a story about a young man who went to the famous Greek philosopher Socrates and told him that he wanted knowledge. And the story goes that Socrates led the young man out into the ocean. And as they had waded out a little ways, Socrates suddenly grabbed the youngster and plunged him beneath the waves of the ocean, holding him there until the young man stopped struggling. And at the very last minute, Socrates pulled the young man up out of the water. He was gasping for air at this point. Socrates drug him to the shore, dropped him off, and then Socrates went back to the city square. When the young man had finally caught his breath, he he sought out Socrates and asked him, hey man, like, why did you try to drown me just a second ago? And Socrates replied, when you were under the water, what did you want more than anything? And the young man said, I wanted air, I needed to breathe. And Socrates responded, when you crave knowledge like you crave air, then you're ready to be my student. 
See, this is the kind of desire that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 5, verse 6. It's an attitude of desperation for his righteousness, that we crave all of him in the same way that we crave oxygen. I heard another story recently about a young man who uh, asked his girlfriend to marry him. He took her out to this picturesque lake very serene and tranquil and just a beautiful landscape. And he grabbed her by the hand and he knelt down on one knee and he said, darling, I want you to know that I love you more than life itself. I want you to marry me. I'm not a wealthy man by any means. I don't have a yacht. I don't drive a fancy car. I don't have a lot of money like Johnny Green. But I do want you to know that I love you with all of my heart. His girlfriend paused for a moment, taking everything in before she finally replied and looked him right in the eye and said, honey, I love you with all my heart as well. But before I say yes, tell me more about this Johnny Green fellow. (laughs) See, this is the condition that a lot of us have in the church today. We, We say that we love the Lord with all our heart, yet we have competing interests that lie elsewhere. We're, we're distracted. We have divided loyalties. Like somewhere along the way, our passion began to drift. We lost our zeal. Our insatiable desire for the things of God began to wane. And instead, we're seeking to satisfy our hunger with junk food that has no spiritually nutritional value. We're attempting to quench our thirst with water that comes from contaminated wells. We're seeking after pleasure and power and popularity and possessions and privilege, hoping that all of those things are going to lead to our satisfaction. But it, it turns out that we're just looking for that satisfaction in all of the wrong places. We've fallen into the, into the trap of believing that the world can offer us something that can satisfy. But then after we've indulged in the things of the world, we still have an appetite. We still want something. We're still left empty and worse off than before. And and quickly we come to discover that fortune or fame or friends or the fulfillment of all of our fantasies, that none of those things are able to satisfy the longing that is in our soul and fill the void that is in our life. You know, one of the common symptoms of the COVID virus is the loss of taste and smell. When people got sick with COVID, we heard uh, a, 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 lot of, a lot of them would say things like, you know, I, I can't smell anything. I can't, I can't taste anything. Nothing smells good. Nothing tastes good. And so the result is, is that many people, whenever they were sick, they just, they didn't eat. And though it may have taken some time, when those who contracted the virus began to get better, eventually they began to taste and smell once again. And it's the same for those of us who are sick and suffering from the condition of sin. Those sick from sin, they they don't have the desire to be in church to worship corporately with the body anymore. They, they don't want to hear the word of God being preached. They can't be bothered to spend a few moments in prayer. They've, they've become bored with the Bible. They have no appetite for the things of God. 
But yet when we confess our sin and, and we get things back on track and we're, we're going down the road toward recovery, our spiritual appetite will start to come back. And then all of a sudden, we can't wait to be in church and worship corporately with God's people. We fall in love with the word of God and it becomes a regular part of our life. Once again, we'll, we'll prioritize spending time in the presence of God over time spent elsewhere. And so simply put, this morning, a, a measuring stick is our hunger and thirst or, or the lack thereof is a solid indicator of our level of spiritual health. And so this morning, as we talk about hunger and thirst and, and having and cultivating this attitude of, of desperation, we have to be sure that we're desperate for the right things. And so Jesus, in this verse, he tells us, he says, the target of our desperation, of our hunger, our thirst, our desire, needs to be his righteousness. You know, perhaps you've heard this quote before. You are what you eat, right? You are what you eat. In other words, whatever we consume is what's going to determine our level of health. It's a well-known fact that a number of health issues can be reversed or eradicated altogether by simply changing one's diet. And while this is true in the natural realm, it's also true in the spiritual realm. For us to experience hunger or thirst means that, that we've become dissatisfied with our current situation and that we're longing for something more, something else, something different. And before anything can be different, we have to first desire to change the situation and then commit to it over the long term. See, changing our spiritual diet, unfortunately, it's not any easier, easier than it is to change our physical diet. But it is necessary for anyone who desires to live a lifestyle full of God's blessings and his happiness. And so if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write these down. Um, there's three things that we must do to change our spiritual diet. Three things you and I must do to change our spiritual diet. And the first one of those things is we have to first examine what we eat. We have to examine what we eat. See, a lot of people today have no desire for righteousness in their life because they've already filled up on empty calories that provide no nutritional value for them. Like, ad admit it, some of us, we are just spiritual junk food addicts, right? We consume things that they may seem good at first, but later they just end up leave us, leaving us wanting. How many of you remember um, the documentary from several years ago, Super Size Me? Anybody seen Super Size Me? In case you're unfamiliar, it's uh, a filmmaker by the name of Morgan Spurlock, and he made it his, uh, his, his mission to eat McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for 30 days. I just got a little bit sick saying that. <laughs> Over the course of those 30 days, he gained nearly 30 pounds. Increasingly, he began to complain of becoming more and more tired. He was, he was getting headaches that previously he had never had before. His blood sugar skyrocketed. His cholesterol elevated to dangerous levels. And at the end of the 30 days, someone asked Spurlock what his experience was like. And he simply said this, I felt terrible. And here's why. 
He felt terrible because he was consuming so much of what he was never intended to consume in the first place. You know, I'm no stranger to the gym. It's clear. I'm fit. I know what you're thinking. It's okay. Pray the Lord that would remove this stumbling block. I understand. But a regular saying in the fitness world is that you can't out-exercise a bad diet, right? So you can go to the gym regularly and you can put in all the hard work, but you'll still never be healthy. It's the same within the spiritual realm. We can't out-exercise a bad diet. You can go to church every single week, every single Sunday, But if you aren't consuming the right things, you'll never be healthy. I wonder, when's the last time we took a moment to consider what we are actually feeding our souls, our spirit man? Is is the spiritual food that we're consuming, is it adding nutritional value or is it made up of just empty calories? Like, are we munching on materialism looking for fulfillment? Are, are we consuming our career thinking that it's going to supply our needs? Are we snacking on sexual sin in pursuit of that satisfaction? Is it, is it that we're drinking and drugging in order to fill the void? Because when it comes down to it, you and I, we've got to use discretion when choosing what we are going to eat spiritually because it will have an effect on our heart in either a positive or a negative way. And so when we examine what we eat, it means that there may be some people that we no longer hang around with. There may be some movies and TV shows that we choose not to watch. There may be some particular websites that we don't click on. There may be some some books and magazines that we steer clear of. There may be some places that we no longer go to. There may be some activities that, that we no longer participate in. Instead, we're going to fill our bodies, we're going, to, we're going to fill the temple of the Lord with the right things because the person examining what he eats from a spiritual standpoint is a person of the word of God. David writes in, in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Psalm 119, verse 103, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Jeremiah 15, 16, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are a joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord, God of heaven's armies. The person examining what he eats is not only a a person of the word of God, but they're also a person of the worship of God. So you show me a person who isn't regularly engaged in worship, and I'll show you someone who isn't hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Because when we choose to skip out when it comes time to worship, what happens is is that our appetite for the things of God begins to diminish, and over time it will disappear altogether. So instead, we've got to take the attitude of the psalmist who wrote in Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God because a single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. The person examining what he eats 
is not only a person of the word of God, not just a person of the worship of God, but also a person of the work of God. Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. He says, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. You know, around here we say all the time that our mission is to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. And we do that by simply being on the lookout for people that are far from God, but they're close to us. And then once we find those people, we just figure out how to meet their needs. We take on that core value that we have, that servanthood is our posture. Because the truth is, within the kingdom of God, we weren't meant to just sit on the sidelines and spectate. We were made to get in the game and participate. And so the person that is examining what they eat so that they can become more spiritually fed at a higher nutrition level, they're going to be a person of the word of God. They're going to be a person of the worship of God. And they're going to be a person of the work of God. Because that's who we were created to be. And so if we're going to change our spiritual diet, not only do we need to examine what we eat, but number two, we need to evaluate what we eat. We need to evaluate what we eat. Nutritionists will tell you that it's not just enough to, to watch what you eat. You know, you can watch those potato chips from the bag all the way to your mouth, that doesn't necessarily work the way that we want it to, right? See, it's true. It's good to get the bad things out of your diet, but you also have to make sure that you're eating enough of the right things. And a lot of us have have bought into the lie that, that a sermon once a week or however often it is that we get to church, that that's enough for us to be able to sustain our spiritual health. My pastor in Jacksonville, I heard him say once, uh, John Morgan, he said, I'd hate to try and sustain my natural life on the same number of meals that many think can sustain their spiritual life. It's true. It's true. We've got to take on the attitude, the, the, the mindset of, of David in Psalm 63, verse 1, where he says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. We have to take on the attitude and mindset of Isaiah who in in chapter 26 verse 9 said, in the night I search for you. In the morning I earnestly seek you. See, those guys had it figured out. Those guys had it figured out that, that the key to a healthy diet was they had to consume as much of the Lord as they could possibly get their hands on because that's what was going to lead them to a place of spiritual health. So if we're gonna change our spiritual diet. First, we've got to examine what we eat. Secondly, we've got to evaluate what we eat. And then finally, we have to enjoy what we eat. Enjoy what we eat. This is the best part of God's plan for us. See, when when we're hungry and thirsty, we're meant to enjoy what we eat and drink. There's a reason that food and drink taste good because it's meant to bring us enjoyment. That's God's gift to us. And so in the same way in the spiritual realm, we're meant to enjoy the things that we feast upon that can bring us a high level of nutritional value. See, the words hunger and thirst in Matthew 5, verse 6, you'll notice 
are in the present tense. And so that means that it's not something that we do just once and then never again. Like, like we're not meant to, to just load up our spiritual cupboard our spiritual pantry, and then, and then never, um, never have to, have to go to God again. It's, it's something that we should crave all day, every day, continually on an ongoing basis. Psalm 42 verses 1 and 2 says this, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Psalm 143 verse 6, I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as parched land thirsts for rain. Just like we need to eat regularly to stay physically healthy, we also need to consume spiritual food regularly so that we can grow in our relationship with the Lord. It's this ongoing thing every single day when we wake up in the morning. God, I need you. I want you, everything you have for me, I want it today. Jesus, later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 11, he teaches, when he's teaching, how, teaching us how to pray, he says that we are to pray, give us today the food we need. It's one day at a time. And every single day it requires that we come to God so that he can feed us with the things that he has for us. Because the truth is, is that no matter how much we feast on the Lord today, we're gonna need more of him tomorrow. We need him on the mountaintop just as much as we need him in the valley. We need him when we're healthy just as much as we need him when we're sick. We need him when the bank account is full just as much as we need him when we are broke. We need him on the good days just as much as we need him on our bad days. We need him when we're feeling strong just as much as when we're feeling weak. We need him when we are happy just as much as when we are sad. Because yesterday's portion is not enough for today's challenge. Every single day, we need a new and a fresh encounter with our Heavenly Father. And now watch what happens. Jesus tells us that that for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for those of us that, that we choose to live that way, he says this, he says, they shall be satisfied. In other words, when when righteousness is the target of our desire, guess what? It'll be given to us. Isn't that like an incredible promise? Does that encourage anybody this morning? That when, when we seek after righteousness, that there is a guarantee that we will be given it. We will be satisfied with it. And it's important to note that Jesus uses this word righteousness four other times in his Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, verse 10, he points out that that those who are persecuted because of their righteousness. And and this tells us that righteousness is a lifestyle that sets us apart as Christ's followers and then invites opposition from the world. A little bit further down in chapter 5, in, in, in verse 20, he talks about the necessity of having a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees or the religious teachers of the law. And this shows us that righteousness starts in the heart and changes a person from the inside out. In chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus warns us to be careful not to do acts of righteousness in order to be seen by man. And this tells us that righteousness doesn't need to be seen by others. It's only meant to be seen by God. And then finally, in chapter 6, verse 33, 
Jesus tells us to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And this shows us that our pursuit of righteousness should come before our pursuit of anything else. And so when we put all of that together, we see that to hunger and thirst after righteousness paints a picture that looks like this, that that we are to have an intense desire and craving for a Christian lifestyle. One that changes us from the inside out so that we no longer seek the praise of other people, but rather seek God and his approval before everything else. And when we come to that place in our lives, righteousness begins to flow into our heart, flow into our life in in two significant ways. The first one of those ways is what is known as imputed righteousness. And that's, that's where we are filled initially with the righteousness of God, imputed righteousness. This is the righteousness that's given to us whenever we surrender our life to Jesus. It's, it's what we would call uh, salvation or when we put our faith in Jesus and his work on the cross, his righteousness then gets credited to our account. It's not something that we had and that we were capable of producing, but when we put our faith in Christ, then he deposits his righteousness into our account. It's never a result of our actions, but it's it's, it's rather a work that is accomplished when our faith is combined with God's grace. Paul talks about it this way in Romans 10.10. He says, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God or that you receive God's righteousness. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Later in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so this is God's promise to those who hunger and thirst after his righteousness. That when we can't save ourselves, Jesus can. When we can't forgive our sins, Jesus will. When we can't pardon ourselves from our transgressions, Jesus does. When we're unable to get clean from our filth, Jesus comes in and wipes it all away. He removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. That's his imputed righteousness. When we desire to be free from the bondage of sin, when we long for the assurance of being in a right relationship with our Heavenly Father, when we grow weary beneath the load of condemnation and guilt, when we are unable to make heads or tails out of this hand that we've been dealt called life, and when we finally trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross to satisfy the holy requirements of God, at that moment, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and then his righteousness is imputed into our life. So that's the first way that righteousness comes in. The second way that righteousness comes into our life when we choose to live this way is through imparted righteousness. It's not just imputed, filled initially, it's imparted righteousness, which is where we are filled continuously. And this is the relationship part. We talk about having a relationship with the Lord. It's where we we get the ability to live a lifestyle that's pleasing to God. See, we don't live holy lives out of obligation. We live them out of relationship. 
As long as we see our relationship with Christ as an obligation or some duty to simply do the right thing, we're never going to be able to find the satisfaction that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. We don't live righteously so Jesus will love us. We live righteously because Jesus loves us. That's a huge difference. We don't live righteously to earn his love. We live righteously because we already have his love. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. You'll note that the relationship came first. He didn't say, obey my commandments and then I will love you. He said, no, if you love me, then obey my commandments. It's, it's, we got to get things in the right order. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see how it works? It's, it's based on relationship. He saved us by his grace, and so we serve him, not out of obligation or duty, but, we're, but because we're so thankful, so grateful to have been saved by his sacrifice from the power and the penalty of sin. that We can't help but to want to live a righteous life. And when we choose to live this way, when, when we have a hunger and thirst, when we, when we pursue God's righteousness with all of our heart, then the Bible tells us here in Matthew 5, 6 that, that satisfaction is guaranteed. They shall be satisfied. They shall be filled. And when we come to that place, we're able to walk in the promise of Psalm 23, 1. This says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. We're able to walk in the promise of Psalm 3410 that says, even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. We're able to walk in the promise of Psalm 107 verse 9 that says, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. And so the question then this morning is, what are you longing for? What are you pursuing? What do you have a hankering for? today. Like if you could have anything at all, what would it be? It, is it a better job, a nicer house, a newer car, better health, more well-behaved kids? Can you honestly say that if I could have anything, I would choose righteousness? Because it, it's, it's more than just a choice between good and evil. It's a choice between what is good and what is best. It's choosing the thing that God wants for us more than anything else. See, no, notice that God doesn't say, blessed are those who live right. Instead, he says, blessed are those that long for what is right. Those that hunger and thirst for his righteousness. And see, until we come to the place where we are single-minded in our pursuit of the things of God, we'll never be truly satisfied. But here's the deal. If you want righteousness, you can have it. It's yours. It's yours for the taking. 
That's a promise from God today. And, and the truth is that for the most part, you and I are where we are right now because that's simply where we want to be. Wherever we are in our life, for the most part, we are there in that place because it's, it's where we want to be. In, in, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Pastor Warren says it like this. He says, the truth is you are as close to God as you choose to be. Intimate friendship with God is a choice, not an accident. You must intentionally seek it. Do you really want it more than anything? What is it worth to you? Is it worth giving up other things? See, here's what I know to be true. It's it's never an issue of time, but rather a question of priority. We will make time for the things that are important to us. And so if we don't have time for something then basically what we're saying is that 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 thing just isn't as valuable to us as other things that we spend our time on. So I had to boil all of this down into just like one like takeaway statement for everybody. And, And what I think that Jesus is really trying to speak to us this morning, it's simply this. You can have as much of God as you want. You can have as much of God as you want. See, at at this very moment, you and I are walking as closely and as faithfully with God as we choose to. If we don't want to walk with him tomorrow, he's not going to force us to. If, If we choose not to feast at his table this week, that's our choice. But we also need to remember that our choices have consequences. And God is clear that the person who has no hunger and thirst for his righteousness also has no part of his kingdom. And that person will never be truly satisfied. And so as I bring this message to a close this morning and and we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table and partake of Holy Communion together, I'm reminded of a verse of scripture that was often said as part of our prayer over meals whenever my family would gather at my grandparents' house. It's the words of Jesus from John 6, 35, and and those words now hang on the wall in my kitchen. See, as a kid growing up, I didn't realize it at the time, but now, looking back, I'm able to see that my grandparents were so adamant about including this verse in our mealtime prayer because it was a reminder that our satisfaction would never come from what was being served on the dinner table that night. That it would only come from the Lord's table and what he was serving. So this morning, as we prepare to take in this communion together and come to the table of the Lord, I I, I wanna lead into that. It's an invitation of the same words that Jesus spoke in John chapter six. In the very same way, in the King James Version that I prayed so many times gathered around the dinner table with my family. Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that you would make us a people of hunger and thirst. 
But God, that we just wouldn't settle to hunger and thirst after the, the wild pursuits of this world that will only leave us empty, but that we would be a people that are of single mind and single heart in our pursuit. That we would pursue you and your righteousness with all that we are. God, I pray that each and every day, Lord, that you would give us the strength to make that declaration, to make that choice. Lord, not just with our minds, not just with our lips, but that we would follow through with our actions, God. And that as your people seek after you, Lord, that that they would find your righteousness and there in that place, Lord, that they would discover true satisfaction. That we would be a people of blessing and happiness, not because we have all of the temporary and fleeting things this world has to offer, but because we have as much of you as we can possibly get our arms around. Lord, we don't want just some of you today. We want all of you, everything that you have for us. Pray that you would come and that you would meet your people, the very point of their need today, and that you would fill them up with all of you this morning as we hunger and thirst after your righteousness. Lord, would you bring satisfaction to our hearts and our lives today? We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.